Hello and welcome to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Stoffenbaugh with today's encouraging word titled, Living on God's Promises. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each of you. God bless you in Jesus' name. Shall we say a prayer together? Father, we love your word. We pray you'll make your word uh, real and living to us and uh, give us just a great new love of spending time with you and your word and transform us as a result that we may be a blessing to others and bring glory to your name. Surround us with your angelic guard. Uh, Put your ministering angels beside each of us to help us receive and retain your word. Thank you so much. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, my uh, message is entitled Living on God's Promises. And I want to read a scripture from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. And that says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world, because of sinful desire. Well, it's through God's promises that we partake of God's very nature. When we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, that he died for our sins, and then we believe the promise that anyone who receives him, anyone who repents, will be given the gift of eternal life, of course, we become partakers of the divine nature. Now, my sermon is not a salvation sermon per se. It's to motivate you to get into the Bible and find all of God's promises and just live uh, wonderfully in the promises of God. But I want you to notice that God's promises, through God's promises, we partake of God's very nature. Now, his nature is all goodness, all victory, all truth, all light, all holiness, all eternal triumph. Now, wouldn't those things be enough to cause happiness, provision, excellent relationships, victory over every problem and obstacle? In short, just exactly what you and I need. And through God's promises, we partake in his very nature. Now, secondly, it's through God's promises that we escape all the corruption that's in the world. And through God's promises, we can escape from defeat, fear, worry, evil, and the eternal judgment due to the wicked. So it's a very good thing to escape from corruption into God's very nature. For these reasons, we need to examine our minds and hearts to see just how many of God's promises we're even aware of. How many are we meditating on? How many are we believing? How many do we pleasantly meditate on until our expectations are flowing from a good and wonderful, loving Heavenly Father? Through God's promises, we could have a lot more victory and peace and a lot less failure and angst, to put it very mildly. Maybe we should make more of an effort to find them, meditate on them, and believe them. Well, that's my introduction. My first point, God is waiting for you to spend time with him. Now, most of the scriptures I'm going to quote today are from the Passion Translation, and that's abbreviated TPT. So Isaiah 30, 15 in that translation says, Lord Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel says, come back to me by returning and resting in me, 
you will be saved. In quietness and trust, you will be made strong. The Lord is still waiting. This is verse 18. The Lord is still waiting to show you his favor so he can show you his marvelous love. I'll read it again. The Lord is still waiting to show you his favor so he can show you his marvelous love. He waits to be gracious to you. He sits on his throne ready to show mercy to you. For Yahweh is the Lord of justice, faithful to keep his promises. Overwhelmed with bliss are all who will entwine their hearts in him, waiting for him to help them. And then verse 19, the last part of the verse, how compassionate he will be when he hears your cries for help. He will answer you when he hears your voice. Even though the Lord may allow you to go through a season of hardship and difficulty, he will be there with you. He will not hide himself from you, for your eyes will constantly see him as your teacher. When you turn to the right or turn to the left, you'll hear his voice behind you to guide you, saying, this is the right path. Follow it. Now, God waited for the Israelites to come to him. But instead, they ignored him and, and they relied on their own schemes and upon neighboring Egypt rather than getting right with God and trusting him. But what about you and me? Just very practically, God is waiting for us to get out of bed early and have a wonderful time with him before the activities of the day heats up. Uh, a time where we meditate on his commands so that we'll do them and meditate on his promises so that we'll believe them. And by spending time with God, we will receive his gracious and merciful love, help, and all his faithfulness. The bliss that this translation speaks of uh, means peace and a sense of security, hopefulness, comfort, encouragement, and new strength. And all that can be ours if we do not keep God waiting. Now, God faithfully promises that he'll respond with great compassion to our prayers, our cries for help. God defined compassion to me years ago as love using its power to help. So, whenever God, uh, whenever the Bible says Jesus felt great compassion, there was always going to be a display of his power to multiply food or heal the sick or raise the dead. Do you want God's power to help you? Well, I, I do, and so that's why I like to go to bed early so I can get up early. I make a pot of coffee, <laughs> I sit in an easy chair, and I meditate on God's Word for quite a while, underlining things and just letting it sink deep into me. Now, after a while, God's promises give me courage and faith to ask for His help, help for me, for my family, my ministry, the United States, help for the whole world. The translator of the Passion Bible describes this as bliss. I would describe it as the joy of being on God's battery charger, getting a full charge. Now, the rest of the day will be an expenditure of energy, of time, and of thought. And uh, that's only fun and enjoyable if I have a full charge on my spiritual battery. But you see, otherwise our spiritual batteries run down. Now, if a cell phone's batteries lose their charge, then that phone can't link up to the cell phone towers. Don't we all know how important it is to keep our cell phones charged up? And yet, brainy people that we are, 
we neglect to charge our spiritual batteries and go around with a dead spiritual phone to God, unable to receive his calls and unable to effectively call him. But you see, when we wait on God's God and, and, and look at his word and want to obey his commands, love to believe his promises, as we drink in those promises and partake of his divine nature, our faith is stirred so that we can call on him with confidence. And the worries and stress of this life melt away. Well, my second point is that one of God's promises is, I will be with you. Now, God's promise to be with you actually contains all the other promises of God. It's like a huge treasure chest that contains various kinds of treasures. Go back to God's promise in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20. Even though the Lord may allow you to go through a season of hardship and difficulty, he himself will be there with you. He will not hide himself from you, for your eyes will constantly see him as your teacher. Now, as we meditate on his promises, we notice that God says the times of hardship and difficulty are seasonal. All right? And uh, take note of that. He's He will allow us to go through seasons of things, but seasons change. Which season of the year is the best? Well, some, some like different seasons, but they all have their own beauty. It is in the seasons of hardship and difficulty that God can reveal himself to us as our mighty God, our deliverer, our more than able, all-powerful, faithful, compassionate Father. Now, remember that in Psalms 23, it says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We don't live in the dark valley, but there are times when we walk through it. In other words, it's seasonal. Seasons change. We get through it because he's with us. We find comfort there. Even a table of provision, an overflowing cup of comfort and greater anointing. Well, I'm, of course, referring to all the things that the psalm says. Now, before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he told his church, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, uh, the ESV translation. Now, God said to Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a great promise that was to Joshua. But here Jesus is saying, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Now, if we just ignore that, it doesn't do us much good. If we meditate and, and, and are convinced, you know what? He's with me. I'm doing his will. I'm, I'm going to make disciples of all nations. I'll do my very best, and he'll be with me. Now, what a great promise we have received that Jesus will be with us to the very end of the age. As we meditate on this, it charges our spiritual batteries to do great things. This gives me courage to believe for finances, to get my book, 21 Ways to Forgive, into Spanish, for instance. I discovered the ministry of Every Home Crusade 
Now, they make uh, their whole goal is to get a gospel message into every home on earth. They used to just work in foreign countries. Now they work in the United States, and they make these little tracks called engagers. They're made from a piece of paper eight and a half inches wide, but it's 14 inches long. It's folded in half, then folded in half again so that it makes a little booklet. And uh, then one panel of that is reserved for a local church to put their contact information. And, and they always have a, a website that goes with the tract. So people can take those and go out and, and, and meet people and give them something to engage them that will get them thinking about God. Well, uh, that's really motivated me because I'm, I'm wanting to do more than just preach to Christians in churches. I would like to uh, bring God glory by winning lost people to Christ. So I want to make my own uh, engagers and have a panel where I could put in the information to it with a church that I want to work with. And then I could actually take the people out in the street and uh, get them going out and reach outreaching. Almost no church has any kind of outreach. Um, I'm also in a great, well, see, so that's a project that I, that I want to do and that I'll need resources for. But if I'm thinking he'll be with me, he wants me to make disciples, he wants me to go into all the world, well, then I'm motivated with, with faith and courage to attempt things. I'm also in this great project to uh, make a book called Good and Faithful Servant, A Trumpet Call to Return to Spiritual Leadership and do my best to turn the entire church away from secular, secularized leadership training and turn them back to spiritual leadership training, which is a great big assignment. That's a huge Goliath, so to speak, uh, a, a really opposing uh, the work of God in the earth. And then I'll have to make a DVD series of teaching that. I'll have to have a teacher's guide, a student workbook. Now, how can I find strength and provision for all these things? Where do I get faith? I'm almost 70. Where do I get that kind of creative energy? Well, I get it from meeting with God each morning for a delightful time of meditating on his promises until my spiritual batteries are 100% charged. Now, friend, if I could just look you in the eye, I wonder how your, what your battery says, your spiritual battery. You know, there's a, your cell phone has this little red mark where it says 10% left. I'm guessing that a whole lot of the body of Christ, their spiritual battery is kind of low like that because they're not spending much time waiting on God. Instead, they're making God wait for them to show up. Well, we, we can do better and we'll be a lot happier if we do. Now, my third point, we must search for and find these promises. We seek and search for God's commands so that we can obey them and please him. We search for his promises so that we can believe them. And our believing faith gives us the courage to obey commands that seem overwhelming. Now, God commanded that the ancient Israelites should go and uh, possess the land of Canaan. And they could not obey that command unless they believed the promises of God. See, because the land was inhabited by bigger nations and uh, there were giants in those nations. 
and uh, they were more trained for warfare and battle. But God said, I'll go ahead of you, and I'm even going to send a whole bunch of hornets ahead. They're not afraid of the giants. They'll just crawl right down under their armor and sting them. To, and, uh, you know, and so God gave them a whole bunch of promises, but not many believed God's promises, so they rebelled against God's command. Now, Caleb and Joshua were two of the 12 spies uh, they were sent in by Moses to spy out the land. <clears throat> and they believed God's promises and therefore were greatly emboldened to obey God's command. And they said, we can certainly do it. Let's go up at once. We'll devour them like bread. Their protection is gone, but God is with us. Those two men had been believing God's promise. But you see, the other 10 refused to believe God's promise and so they started saying things like, we cannot attack those people. They said, they're stronger than we are. We should go back to Egypt. Well, they didn't obey because they didn't obey the promise. They didn't have the courage. Now, I want to read Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 from the Passion Translation. My child, will you treasure my wisdom? Then and only then will you acquire it. And only if you accept my advice and hide it within you, will you succeed? So train your heart to listen when I speak and open your spirit wide to expand your discernment. Then pass it on to your sons and daughters. Yes, cry out for comprehension and intercede for insight. For if you keep seeking it like a man would seek for sterling silver, searching in hidden places for cherished treasure, then you'll discover the fear of the Lord and find the true knowledge of God. Now, no knowledge is as great as the knowledge of God. That contains eternal life and everything else. <clears throat> now, we must not just look for promises and ignore commands. Rather, we look for commands to give us the courage to obey. Uh, let me say that again. We, we look for promises to give us the courage to obey the commands. Now, some commands are linked to promises, such as honor your father and mother, uh, that you're you maybe live a long life in the land, and that's the Bible says that's the first commandment with a promise. Not many passionately search God's word for the knowledge of God. We should desire to know God intimately, and what a delight to find a new command, uh, some new way to please God. What a delight to find some new promise that gives us power and courage to obey the great commands such as make disciples of all nations. Remember, by God's promises, we escape corruption and participate in his very nature. So now apply this. Decide to have a delightful time each morning searching God's word as if you're digging for great hidden treasure. And what you find will be better than physical treasure. It'll be spiritual treasures of much greater value, and your time will be well spent. Now, do any of you think it's a waste of time to charge your cell phone? You say, well, I'm too busy to put my phone on the charger. I have too much else to do. No, you do not say that, because you know that charging your phone is one of the very first priorities, is it not? You hate the inconvenience of a dead cell phone. Well... Dear friend, why are you going around with a dead spiritual phone? Put yourself on God's charger and enjoy time with him. Don't keep him waiting any longer. See, he's waiting to show you compassion. 
Now I want to say something very practical to you. I urge you to go online and order the book of Isaiah in the Passion Translation. It comes as a separate book because, you see, that translation is fairly new. It's in all the New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon. The New Testament and those books will come in one volume. Then there's two other books that are finished, Genesis and Isaiah, and they're separate printed volumes. So you can order Isaiah in the Passion Translation, and I, for the last month, I've just been spending about an hour every morning just reading the book of Isaiah, underlining promises, writing notes beside them, because I don't know of any book in the Bible that has any more a percentage of promises than the book of Isaiah. It's just loaded with promises. That's probably why uh, there's a good number of people that always say Isaiah is their favorite book of the Bible. Now, I would urge you, when you get it, underline stuff. Somebody says, well, it's the sacred Bible. I don't want to make a mark in it. Then you're not treating the Bible very good because, you know, if you really want to treat the Bible good, get it inside your heart. Memorize it. Get it in your head. That's the way to treat it good. And then live it. Talk it. Speak it. Become the embodiment of it. It's what you have inside that shows you're honoring the Bible. So I write in the Bible. I make arrows and stuff, and I, uh, I want to be able to find, the again, the promises I'm delighting in. So then I mark them, and I write something by them. Isn't that just very practical? But you see, a lot of people aren't doing that. But you could. All right, my fourth point, after we find the promises, we must meditate deeply on them and memorize them. Well, you say, do I have to memorize them? Not from a... Uh, pharisaical, over-religious thing. I just want to be able to memorize them so I can suck the juice out of them any old time of day, all right? If you're going to have a pack of gum, you wouldn't want to leave it at home. You'd want it somewhere in your car uh, where you could get to it. Well, when you memorize the Bible, then at any time you can say that to yourself and feel the comfort that comes from it. So, in Isaiah chapter 30, God tells the people that if they'll get rid of idols, you say, well, we don't worship idols. Well, an idol could be something that is put ahead of God. And that could even be sports, television sports. You could put that first. A lot of people put a human first, uh, ahead of God. Well, don't put anything ahead of God. And so, if we get rid of our idols, here's what God says. Then God will supply you with abundant rain for the seeds you sow. He'll bless you with an incredible, plentiful harvest. And in that day, he will give you lush, broad pastures for your cattle. Even your oxen and donkeys that work the soil will feed on good grain separated from its chaff. On the day of great slaughter, when all their towers tumble, God will bless you with sparkling streams and bubbling brooks flowing down every high hill and every lofty mountain. Moonlight will shine as bright as sunlight, and the sun's glare will become seven times brighter like the light of seven days rolled into one. That will be the day when the Lord Yahweh heals the bruises and wounds that he has inflicted. Now that's Isaiah 30, 23 through 26 in the Passion Translation. Now, as we meditate on these words, we can believe God for the finances to do God's work, the abundant rain for the seeds we sow. We can believe God for an incredible harvest in our earthly provisions, but more so in a heavenly harvest of souls. So many Christians are living in fear of what's coming. 
And we got to be careful because you'll hear different people giving prophetic words and it's like, oh, hard times are coming, bad times are coming. We got to get close to God. Well, hard times may come and they may not come right away. Uh, that really has nothing to do with it. What counts is getting close to God because uh, you can be destroyed in a time of prosperity by falling away from God. Uh, so like the song of Song of Songs, the, the, the Shulamite says, uh, I'm a garden for my lover. Let the south wind come. Let the north wind come and blow the fragrance out of my garden. So the south wind is the wind of blessing. North wind is the wind of adversity. It really doesn't matter which way the wind flows if our heart's a garden for God. Now notice that this scripture I just read is about when their towers fall. See, in the day of great slaughter... Uh, it says, God will bless you with sparkling streams, bubbling brooks. Okay, what does it mean the moonlight will shine as bright as the sunlight? It, the body of Christ is like the moon, re reflecting the light of God, like reflect the moon reflects the light of the sun. And so in great times of difficulty and trouble, there's going to be such revelation coming to the body of Christ that prophetic people are going to just have seven times the anointing to bless and help the rest of the body. What does it mean that the sunlight will be seven times greater? I'm sure that's poetic language for God's grace. If the sun was seven times harder, we we'd, wouldn't be a blessing. We'd burn up. But that's a poetic language for God's grace being seven times magnified to help us in the hard times. And so rather than just getting all scared and saying hard times are coming, we need to look at God's promises so that we say, well, when they do come, God's going to increase his grace seven times. Now lift your hands and shout a little bit. Lift your hand up. You don't have a car wreck if you're listening in a car, but why don't you just say hallelujah? See, you're, you're starting to meditate on one of God's promises and what's happening. Your battery's getting charged. You can feel the encouragement coming in because God doesn't tell lies in his promises. Well, Again, as we meditate on these words, we can believe God for finances to do his work, abundant rain for the seeds we sow, incredible harvest of souls. Now, um, let's look at verses uh, 28 and 29. He sifts the nation in his sieve of destruction and places a bridle in their jaws that causes them to wonder. But you will have joyous songs throughout the night as one celebrating a holy, consecrated feast. You'll have gladness of heart as one celebrating to the sound of a flute and dancing up the mountain of Yahweh, the rock who shelters Israel. Passion Translation, Isaiah 30, 28 through 29. We can have a feast of fellowship with God. After all, if we partake of his divine nature, we're surely going to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we can expect joy and gladness of heart in spite of what the wicked do. Now, I've been enjoying the book of Isaiah, and I want to just share with you some of the treasures I've found, all right? So I'm going, to, uh, uh, I'm going to read you some of these precious promises I've found. Isaiah 32, 1 through 2, and again, all of these are from the Passion Translation. Look, a new era begins. A king will reign with righteousness and his princes according to justice. Each will be a hiding place from the stormy wind and a shelter from the tempest. 
Life will flow from each one like streams of water in the desert, like the refreshing shade of a massive rock in a weary, thirsty land. It's important to have a good self-image, isn't it? And to see ourselves as God sees us. So if we have accepted Christ, if we love him and serve him, see, he's the king that reigns in righteousness. And we can see ourselves as princes and princesses, children of the king, righteous and just people who are spiritual hiding places and shelters from the storm of life. We can see ourselves as people from whom streams of living water flow, people who are like refreshing shade from the heat and trouble of the day. And we can read these things and pray the promise, Lord, make me a shelter, make me a shade, make me a spring of living water for the benefit of others and for your glory. Now, don't you think that's a good prayer? Don't you think God would like to hear a prayer like that? And it's based on a promise. Here are some more great promises from God through Isaiah. Sinners in Zion are afraid, and the godless are gripped with panic, saying, who can dwell with such an all-consuming fire? Who can live in the presence of never-ending flame? Only those who walk with integrity and speak what is true, who despise even the thought of cheating the poor and do not accept a bribe nor plot violence nor contemplate doing evil. Don't even think about doing evil. They will live safely on the heights and make their safe place the mountain strongholds with bread and steady supply and water assured. In this high place, your eyes will see the king in his stunning beauty and gaze upon his broad domain. Well, when I do a meeting uh, in a church or someplace, I'm very careful to not manipulate for money. Now, many ministers do manipulate for money, and uh, they take excessive time uh, to raise funds. They give out promises that if you'll give them $1,000, God will give you 100 times back that, and, and they just uh, make up things that they can't possibly fulfill themselves. And they don't care what happens after they leave. They just get the money. Now, I despise the thought of manipulating for money. And therefore, I often leave a meeting with less money than I could have if I had stated my need or made some promise to the people of God's blessing. But you see, I have a better promise. If I walk in integrity, I can live in spiritual safety. I can enjoy God supplying my needs. I can have an ever increasing revelation from the Spirit of God, and I live and abide in His holy fire. And the promise is with bread and steady supply and water assured. Well, water represents provision. Now, as I meditate on things like that, my fears are calmed, worry is nullified, and it helps me believe for increasing revelation from God. Now, look at this promise, Isaiah 33, 6. He will be your constant source of stability in changing times. And out of his abundant love, he gives you the riches of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. What a great promise to memorize. He'll be your constant source of stability in changing times. Man, we're, we're in changing times. <laughs> But he'll be our constant source of stability. Now, memorize that and confess it. Speak it. Say out loud, God will be my constant source of stability in these changing times. The Apostle Paul said, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, to think about such things. So, 
times in our world change, and our personal times change. We go from young to mature to middle-aged to being seniors to being very elderly. The world is changing all around us. We're changing, but God remains the same. He's our stability through it all. Now, that's comforting. What a great thing to think about. God speaks again through Isaiah, and this is chapter 34, 16, same Passion Translation. Seek for, Yah seek for Yahweh's book and read it carefully. You will learn that none of these prophecies will fail. None will lack a fulfillment as its companion. Now, remember God made the animals come on the Ark of Noah, two by two, a male and female. Each one had its companion. And so this has given us a word picture that when God sends a promises, he sends fulfillment, just like a male and female animal of every kind getting on the ark. When God gives a promise, he's giving fulfillment. What a great thought. Now, here's another one, Isaiah 40, 10 through 11. Look, here comes the Lord Yahweh as a victorious warrior. He triumphs with his awesome power. Watch as he brings with him his reward and the spoils of victory to give to his people. He will care for you as a shepherd tends his flock, gathering the weak lambs and taking them in his arms. He carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. <clears throat> now, remember the story in uh, it's 1 Samuel chapter 30. David <clears throat> returned to his hometown, Ziklag, and it had been burned with fire and uh, Amalekite raiders had kidnapped all their families and stolen all their possessions. His 600-man army wept until they had no more strength to weep. And so finally, after he prayed, they got up and pursued the enemy. But 200 of his 600 men were too weak to cross the brook of Besor. These big, strong warriors had wept too much and got into too much unbelief and despair. So they had to stay behind. And the others went on, fought the battle, triumphed over the enemy and brought back the plunder and treasure. And then David insisted that they share this with the men who had been too weak to go. Now look at Jesus. He has complete triumph. And we might feel like we're one of the weak ones, too weak to go into battle. But you know what? Jesus brings with him his reward. And the Bible says he brings the spoils of victory to give to his people. That means even the weak ones. So as we meditate on this, we might think, oh, Jesus, you are the mighty warrior. <laughs> I feel like a little weak one. I don't know if I'm strong enough to go out there and whip the enemy, but I sure appreciate you uh, sharing the spoils of victory with me. And uh, I'm sure glad you take care of the little, the little weak lambs and carry them in your arms. Now you feel better already. What's happening? Well, your spiritual battery's getting charged. Now, again, in Isaiah 40, verse 28 and 29, same translation, Passion Translation, Isaiah writes, he never gets weary or worn out. His intelligence is unlimited. He's never puzzled over what to do. He empowers the feeble and infuses the powerless with increasing strength. Even young people faint and get exhausted. Athletic ones may stumble and fall. But those who wait for Yahweh's grace will experience divine strength. They'll rise up on soaring wings and fly like eagles, run their race without growing weary, and walk through life without giving up. Having meditated on this, we can pray the promise, Lord, you know what to do. See, he's never puzzled over what to do. You know what to do. Help me do the right things in the right order today, Lord. Empower me through, through your divine strength. 
another promise. This is Isaiah 41, uh, the last half of verse 8 through verse 10. You are the seed of my beloved friend Abraham. Now, if you have accepted Christ by faith, see, the Bible says that you're a, you're a child of Abraham too. And it says, I drew you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corner. I say to you, you are my servant. I've chosen you. I have not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am always near. Never turn your gaze from me, for I am your faithful God. I will infuse you with my strength and help you in every situation. Now listen to this. I will hold firmly. I will hold you firmly with my victorious right hand. I grip your right hand and won't let you go. I whisper to you, don't be afraid. I'm here to help you. Now, see, you need to take a little time to meditate on that. And you see that God says, I'm going to hold you with my right hand and I'm going to hold your right hand. Well, that would mean you, you can't walk side by side going the same direction and have that happen. So let's say your dad is uh, walking side by side and, and he holds your right hand. Well, if he did, he'd have to be using his left hand. If he was on the other side, he'd hold you with his right hand, but he wouldn't be holding your right hand. He'd be holding your left hand. So when God said, I'm going to hold you with my right hand and I'm going to grab you by your right hand, that means it's face to face. You're face to face. It's as if God is up on top of the mountain and reaching down, looking you in the eye, grabbing you by the right hand and pulling you up where he is. And that's why it says, never turn your gaze from me. Now, you see, if you're walking side by side with the Lord, you wouldn't be looking at him anyway. <laughs> I like that idea of face-to-face -face with God. Now, that calls for just a little praise. Don't you think you could raise your hand right now and, and just thank God that he wants to reach down with his all-powerful right arm, grab your right arm, and lift you up to where he is, and all the time you get to gaze on his face and have that security that he's gripping you. Well, what a wonderful promise. That's a battery charger. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I want God's help. I like that idea of seeing his face. Now we come to Isaiah 41, 17 through 19, Passion Translation. I, Yahweh, will respond to the cry of the poor and needy when they're thirsty and their tongues are parched with thirst. When they seek a drink of water, but there is none, I, the God of Israel, will not abandon them. I will open up refreshing streams on the barren hills and springing fountains in the valleys. I will make the desert a pleasant pool and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the treeless desert cedars and acacia, myrtle and olive trees. I will set in the wilderness evergreens together with many elm and cypress. Everyone will see and know that I, Yahweh, with my mighty hands have done this. So now I'm meditating on that. And I'm thinking God's going to provide water, which I view as provision even if I'm in a desert situation where there seems to be no way. Then I say to myself, now he's not only going to give me water, but he's going to give me enough water for a tree. How many of you know trees use a lot of water, barrels of water? But he's not going to give just enough water for me and one tree. He's going to give enough water for a whole forest of seven kinds of trees. <laughs> well, you know, my books and creative projects are all like trees. And each one requires water. 
but that gives me faith that God's going to supply. See, that charges my spiritual battery. So I say, I confess the word, water for me, water for a tree, water for a forest, and I press on ahead. Now, even while I'm believing for finances to finish the book on spiritual leadership, I'm beginning the project of writing my own engagers, which are tracks made from one sheet of paper, folded a certain way, uh, with a panel of information from a local church. Now, I have many creative ideas for these. And then I'm going to, uh, by God's grace, give a hundred or so of those to a church and, and get their people to giving them out so that uh, we can uh, get the churches I'm recommending uh, back in outreach to their communities. I'm moving ahead with getting my books online as courses. I'm synergizing with another ministry that's got a website that features various teachers, and I'll have my own section, and we're put synergizing our ministries together. We're starting a weekly three-minute video. We call them encouragement videos, and I made a list of 3,500 email addresses I have, mostly pastors and church offices. I'm adding as many emails as I can get so that when we send those little three-minute videos out, people can copy them in their own social media networks. We're also making a podcast. Now, all the while, if I just looked at the natural, I'd be looking at a desert where it looks like there isn't any provision for anything. But God's promises are, to me, yeah, I'm going to give you plenty of water. Water for me, water for a tree, water for a forest. My battery's charged. Number five, here are some of God's promises for children and descendants. Isaiah 44, verse 3, I will pour out my spirit on your children, my blessings upon your descendants. Isaiah 49, 25, for I will fight with those who fight with you, and I myself will save your children. Isaiah 54, 20 through 21, increase is coming. So enlarge your tent and add extensions to your dwelling. Hold nothing back. Make the tent ropes longer and the pegs stronger. You will increase and spread out in every direction. Your sons and daughters will conquer nations and revitalize desolate cities. Now that verse helps me believe for a great increase in spiritual children from every direction as we go into those monthly podcasts, weekly encouragement videos on 10 social media platforms to thousands of people who can then share them with tens of thousands more. It helps me believe that God will use my natural children and my grandchildren to do great things. And I'm not just waiting for it to happen, but I pray these promises and I remind God of them. Now here's another promise, Isaiah 59, 20 through 21. He will come to Zion as a kinsman redeemer, to those of Jacob's tribes who repent of their rebellion, says Yahweh. And this is my covenant promise with them, the Lord says Lord Yahweh. From now on, my Holy Spirit will rest on them and not depart from them, and my prophetic words will fill their mouths and will not depart from them, nor from their children, nor from their descendants, from now on and forever, says Lord Yahweh. Well, wow, I pray, dear God, fulfill those wonderful words. Let your spirit rest on my descendants. Fill their mouths with your word. Do that with all my descendants according to your promises. Now, as we age, as we pray 
for our children and grandchildren and descendants, natural and spiritual, we must trust in God's promise to help us all get through to the finish line. Here's another promise, Isaiah 46, 3 through 4. You never had to carry me, but I've carried you from birth. I supported you from the moment you left the womb. Even as you grow old and your hair turns gray, I'll keep carrying you. I am your maker and caregiver. Oh, isn't that a beautiful one? I will carry you and be your savior. Well, I got to thinking, I thought, you know, I need God to carry me when I get really old and feeble. And then I thought, well, you know, I need God to carry me today. And then I realized, hey, <laughs> you've been carrying me the whole time. <laughs> and you're not going to stop. Praise God. All right, my sixth point. We need to pray the promises. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21 through 22, Passion Translation. All your people will be righteous and will permanently possess the land. I planted them there as a tender sapling, the work of my own hands, to display my glory. I will multiply the least of you into a thousand and the weakest one into a mighty nation. I am Yahweh, and when the right time comes, I will accomplish it swiftly. Now, in September of 2018, I was in Vermont and a group of prophetic people prayed over me and gave me prophetic words for 19 minutes. And one of those words was that God was going to enlarge me as if a pop can became a swimming pool. I believe this is going to happen as we do this social media project and send out these weekly three-minute videos that people then can transfer to their uh, social media networks. And what I like about this verse is that God will make the least into a thousand, but then he says the very weakest, he's going to turn into a mighty nation. Well, a mighty nation is like America. That's over uh, 300 million people. So I say to myself, oh, I'm the very weakest. <laughs> God's power is made perfect in weakness. I got plenty of that to offer God. You see, you might think, what do I have to offer God? And you say, well... I'm, I got a bunch of weakness. And he says he'll make a mighty nation out of the very weakest. You see, when we depend on God, that's the first step in the cycle of success. So when you're weak, you know you need him. You depend on him. The result is much greater blessing than anybody else. All right, so I, like, I love that scripture. He'll make the very weakest into a mighty nation. And I think of myself, yeah, I'm totally weak without him. I look forward to him uh, multiplying me over and over and over again. Uh, so give me your grace, Lord, your strength, so that I can become, as it were, a mighty nation of edified, unified disciples of Jesus. Now we're talking about praying the promises, and God told Jacob to return to the land of Canaan. But as he was on his way back, his jealous brother came to meet him with an army of 400 big, tough, armed men. And Jacob reminded God that he was depending on God's promises to be with him because God had said, go back to the land of your birth and I will be with you. So he reminded God and prayed that promise and then asked God to keep Esau from harming them. And God did keep Esau from harming them. And Jacob and Esau ended up having a miracle of family restoration and reconciliation. Why did that happen? 
because Jacob had a promise. He believed it. He acted on it. And he also prayed it. Now, friend, listen carefully to me. There are some really, really big promises in the Bible, ones that we tend to overlook and ignore, and we maybe put them on the other side of the resurrection as if they could only be fulfilled after Jesus returns and raises everybody from the dead and we have glorified bodies. But what if these promises that I'm going to give you are actually this side of the resurrection? Now, I want to give you this example uh, Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17, and this time I'm quoting from the NIV. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may, brought, they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, the way I interpret that is that he's not just praying we get unified because we could all be unified in a bad mood. He is praying that we'll be brought to complete unity with God just as he is in complete union with the Father. And he wants that to happen now, this side of the resurrection, so that the world will see Jesus in us and know that God sent Jesus and know that God loves them as much as he loves Jesus. He wants he wants us to be brought to complete unity with God, and we're never going to be brought to complete unity with each other unless we're brought to complete unity with God. And as we're brought into unity with God, of course, we'll swing into unity with each other. I, one time I took a, a cookie sheet and I put three tennis balls on it. And no matter what you try to do to roll those tennis balls together, you can't get them to unify and roll together. But if you put a a safety pin in each one and attach the same length of string and then you lift them up on that string they'll swing together perfectly and then you can swing them back and forth and even swing them in a circle and they won't jostle or, or bump each other they'll never separate because they're lifted up to that higher point now we need to be praying the promises god bring the body of christ into complete unity with you bring me into complete unity with you bring me into complete unity with everybody else that's getting close to god see but we ignore that promise completely it's the one of the biggest in the bible if not the biggest we should believe it we should pray it and then Paul writes something similar. He says, And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, listen to this, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." Now, what if we said, dear Lord, you, you, you gave apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors to perfect the saints so that we'd become totally mature. Now, Lord, I want to be totally mature. I want to speak the truth in love, and I want to grow up into Christ, who is the head. 
I want the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, see, why can't we pray that? If God gave the fivefold ministry for that purpose, why aren't we saying, Lord, I, I got a little bit of Jesus, <laughs> you know? But I'm probably still kind of immature and waves kind of knock me around and, and uh, I get deceived sometimes. But dear Lord Jesus, you want to make me just like you. And, uh, and that's what I want. Now, we should pray that promise. Who is praying those prophecies? Who's asking God to mature the body of Christ on earth before his coming so that we'd have the fullness of Christ? Is that just a fantasy? Well, it's a promise of God. And I believe before the age is over, a tremendous revival will come in the body of Christ and these great promises will be fulfilled and the resurrection will come. But there's just a whole lot of grace that can come before the resurrection to get us mature, even though we walk in these uh, bodies of clay. My last point is, point seven, make the most of God's promises. Find them, meditate on them. God said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Then you'll be prosperous, successful. Thirdly, think about them. Paul said, if anything's excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. And then fourth, praise God for his promises. Now quickly, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it tells the story of King Jehoshaphat and Judah and three big foreign armies banded together and came against them. And the king said, we have no power to stand against this army. Help us, God. Well, he had a million man army at the time. As far as I know, it was the biggest army that uh, Judah ever had. But the Bible actually gives the numbers of his troops, and it was a million-man army. But he's saying, this, these other combined armies are so bigger, we have no power. So there must have been two or three million people coming against them. But a, a prophet said, stand still and see the salvation of God. You won't have to fight in this battle. God's going to fight this battle for you. And so they believed the promise of God and sent the choir out singing how great God is and how merciful he is and how his love endures forever. And God had those enemies attack each other until not a single man was left. Now, of all the bloody battles in history of human race, that was probably the bloodiest one where the most men died in one battle. It had to be over two million casualties of enemy people. Why did such a tremendous... It took them days and days and days to carry off the plunder. Now, why? Well, because God gave a great promise. People believed the great promise. They acted on it. And they praised God for it. They believed it. And they received the whole thing. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful then to have God give you your biggest victory ever? Well, here's my closing. I believe God is waiting to meet with you. He longs to be gracious to you. And I would just urge you, don't keep him waiting. Go to bed early. Get up early. Get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or something. Open up the Bible. If you need to get a new translation or, or whatever, just get into his word. Find his promises. Underline them. Believe them so that you can participate in his divine nature and escape the corruption of this world. 
And I hope that you'll just have a delightful time doing that and tremendous growth and victory as a result and be a tremendous blessing to multitudes of others. Do that for us, Lord. Bring us into complete unity with you. Help us grow up into Christ in all things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97426.